Well, my name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free Church. So good to be with you for worship uh, this morning. We are delighted to jump into our Rooted series here in just a moment. New series starting today. If you're watching at um, carneyefree.com, we welcome you. Thanks for joining us for worship today. If you're watching the venue, thank you for joining us today. If you're in the auditorium, Thanks for being with us today, Father, for worship. Hey, I want to say a quick thank you and acknowledgement here of a number of firefighters though, that we have in attendance to today. This weekend is the uh, Nebraska Fallen Firefighters Memorial Service here in town. And uh, every year, well, when they have that memorial service, a number of local firefighters well, will choose a church to, to attend, and several of them have chosen Carney E. Free to, today. Thank you, Father, for your service. Well, we are grateful. Uh, for your service to our community. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I'd encourage you to take a moment to thank them after service as well. Maybe get to know one of them and their service. Many of them, actually all of those, I believe, in attendance well with us today are volunteers who do this simply as a blessing to, to the great community though, that we live in. And uh, again, we're so grateful for the way you serve valiantly. Uh, we appreciate you deeply. Probably 15 years ago, my wife and I uh, took a trip to Northern California to visit my grandparents there and um, had a, a single child at that age, one year old, and having a nice visit well with my grandparents. And then uh, from there, we decided to take a day trip to a place called Armstrong State Forest. And... Uh, Armstrong State Forest is, is a special place because it's known for its giant sequoia trees. I don't know if, have you ever seen the sequoia trees, giant sequoias? They are stunning. It is amazing to see these trees. And so uh, we're, we're, we're driving through this forest, and we park our car, and we go on these hikes, and uh, you run into these trees that are like as wide as a small house and taller than the Statue of Liberty, like over 300 feet high, and one after another, and just incredible to see these trees. And I, I was amazed by the sight. And there was even this one tree that went down over one of the walking paths, or I guess maybe it was over a road, um, and, and rather than cut the tree down because it was probably 15, 18, 20 feet wide, I don't know, rather than cutting it down, the Forest Service came in and they cut this tunnel through it. It's kind of like this. It wasn't this tree, but that's what they did. They cut this tunnel through it so cars literally could drive through the tree. Yeah, I agree. It was just amazing. And so I got back from that trip, and as I sometimes do, I kind of nerded out, and I did some more research on these ancient sequoias that were like 2,000 years old. You'd see one sequoia down next to another sequoia, and you realize that's 4,000 years in front of your face. Okay? Um, went back home, nerded out, did some research, and I learned like one of the most fascinating things to, to me about the sequoias was what keeps them strong? So they do have, you know, good, good roots. They'll go down 12, 13 feet. But really, that's not that deep. 12 or 13 
feet of roots for a tree that's 300 feet high and that's maybe 20 feet wide, that, that's not actually all that deep. And so I, I, I got to asking the question and learning, like, how do these trees stand up? They're just enormous. They weigh so much. How do they stay strong when they're buffeted by winds from the coast at certain times of year, and they go through these long seasons of intense drought, as they oftentimes experience in that part of the country? How do they stand? And what I learned is the primary way they stand is not so much the depth of their roots, that does matter, but even more, it's the breadth of their roots and the fact that their roots interlock with each other. Really fascinating. Like, you would have one sequoia tree and another one that's maybe 20 feet away, and underneath the ground, if you could take a picture underneath the ground, well, what you see is their roots are interlocked with each other, and then several others in their little ecosystem likewise would be interlocked with each other underneath the surface such that they would stand strong because of this bonding that they had with each other. They'd stand strong amidst the very harsh winds and the drought that they would face. That's how they stay deeply rooted and interconnected. Now, amidst the harsh winds of our lives, here's my question. Amidst the harsh winds of your life, how do you stay richly interconnected and deeply rooted in a culture such as ours? In a culture with such vast change that is being modified so rapidly how do you say, stay richly interconnected and deeply rooted such that you can sustain the harsh winds of life in this world? Like, think about the rate of change in our culture today. It used to be, in my grandpa's generation, you'd be trained for a vocation and you would then be in that vocation, right? Period. End of story. Now you're trained for a vocation and you'll be in that for a certain number of years or months or maybe even weeks as the culture has changed, right? And I heard recently of someone who stayed in a vocation for a day <laughs> after a long period of training, okay? It, it just changed drastically and the average person now has 13, 14 jobs. So therefore trained 13, 14 different times. The rate of change is incredible. Since the 1960s when the computer was first um, being utilized, the first Big gray or big blue, I forget what it's called, IBM computers fall first being utilized late 1950s and early 1960s, the power and speed of computers has been doubling every two years since the 1960s. That's the rate of technological change, though, that we're living in. Uh, think about artificial intelligence. It's been growing at a rate of 16% per year over the past many years, such that today, in 2023, we're not really sure which research papers which works of fine art and which musical scores are authentically human and which ones are not. Wow. We now live in a time where we're inundated with stories from Fiji and Finland and Flint, Michigan all the time. And we have thousands upon thousands of social media posts to keep up on with thousands of friends. And we have fantasy football, and we have show choir, and we have competitive athletics with travel all over the place. 
We have all these people to stay in touch with today, and yet we feel more disconnected than ever, do we not? Surgeon General Vivek Murthy recently stated this. He said, America is experiencing an epidemic of loneliness and social isolation that actually threatens our physical health. And as a pastor who deals with people every week, I must say that I agree with that. I see it. I agree with that. And so the question is, how do you, how do we stay deeply interconnected and well-rooted amidst a culture such as ours? How do we sustain a good pace? How do we sustain good rhythms in a culture that changes like ours does? What I want to tell you is you do it the same way that our spiritual ancestors did it. We're going to look back at Acts chapter 2 this morning Look at the story of some of our spiritual ancestors and the ways that they got healthy as they formed their first spiritual communities and as they were first learning how to follow Jesus together. Now, we have to admit that the rate of change in pre-modern biblical times was much, much slower than the rate of change in our time, okay? The thing that threatened them the most was not the speed at which things changed, Our problem is nonstop distraction, but friends, their problem was nonstop intimidation. Back then, if someone became a follower of Christ, this is what they faced. Frequently in the early church, the first followers of Christ were Jews, and they quickly became outcasts within their Jewish families. Imagine that. Likewise, if someone became a follower of Christ, they were saying that Jesus Christ is Lord and therefore Caesar is not Lord and I don't follow any politician, God forbid. Jesus is Lord and he alone. And to say that in the Roman Empire meant that you would be hunted down by the Roman authorities. Our problem is nonstop distractions. Their problem was nonstop intimidation. And either way, to deal with that, you would need to be well-rooted. So again, turn with me here to Acts chapter 2. And as you turn there, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the book, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. So if you're not there, you can join me now. Or using your phones, uh, that's fine as well. But this is a passage which the apostle Peter One of Jesus' closest apprentices has been preaching to this large crowd, this very diverse crowd of people from all different races and all different languages, all different backgrounds, all over the ancient Near East, and they're there in Jerusalem for the celebration of Savat, which is a Jewish celebration that happened to line up with what became Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit came upon the church. It's 50 days after the Passover, so you have all these different nations coming there for the celebration of that festival. And Peter is preaching, and he's saying this, Messiah has come. The, long, the long-awaited Messiah has come. And with him, the kingdom of God is now at hand. And the reason you know that is In fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, you see men and women prophesying now, doing ministry together for the glory of God. And as God promised, so he's now fulfilling. 
He died for your sins and for mine. Messiah came, he died for you and for me. And then he validated our belief by rising from the grave. And then Peter gives the kicker. He says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. It was true then, it's still true today, right? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus from any nation, any tribe, any background is welcome into God's family today. And Peter offers this brilliant and simple invitation into God's family. And then we pick up the story here in verse 36. He says, after that invitation, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, he says to the Jews, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? How do we deal with our sin? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine Here's this fisherman who's given this little sermonette, if you will. He spontaneously preaches this message as this large and diverse crowd has gathered, and he invites them all to repent and then to be baptized, and 3,000 people say at once, yes, sign me up. Did they have enough pools for that in Jerusalem? And this man preached, if you read the text, for about... 10 minutes. Don't you be getting any ideas now. Okay, like, it's a sermonette. And God uses this sermonette to cut them to the core. First, it's the message of God's holiness. That's where it is first. That you sinned, and in your sin, God is not pleased. And there's something that needs to be done with that. It's true for all of us, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have to figure out what do we do with that and we cannot extricate ourselves from that situation. We need someone else to pull us out of it. And so Peter says, it's Jesus. Not your works, not your good deeds, It's Jesus that will pull you out of that. You simply repent and you are baptized as a symbol of your repentance. And after this great message on the holiness of God cuts them to the heart, then he heals them with the message of God's love so also you can be forgiven. And so also the Holy Spirit could come into you and you're welcomed into God's family And they say yes to that. And my friends, everybody was fully immersed in the moment. Nobody was checking their Instagram accounts in this moment. 
They were totally with Peter as they hear this basic message of the gospel of Jesus. And they say yes to it. Now, I I was probably uh, 17 when I first started reading the Bible. First as a non-Christian. And uh, then later on, I started reading it again as a Christian. But I remember even reading the book of Acts as a non-Christian and being amazed at this early church and the kinds of things that they did in response to the message. Take a look at what happens next. As many years as I've been reading the book of Acts, as many years now as I've been reading the Bible as a Christian, it never ceases to amaze me at what the church did next. They moved from this organic crowd of, say, 3,200 people at this point. A couple hundred, then 3,000 more. A great organic crowd. Then they moved to this organized church that would become more effective for mission and for spreading the love of God. Follow along with me here at verse 42. Here's what they did next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they shared everything in common. They gave their possessions and sold their property to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Mm. That is what the early church did. That is what they did. They received this message of Christ and that's how they operated. They weren't laissez-faire about Christ and this message that they received. They were passionate about Jesus Christ and it transformed the way they lived their lives. And so as we begin this new series titled Rooted, which we grow in these rhythms of discipleship, what we're gonna do is introduce seven rhythms of discipleship that we see they implemented here in the earliest church, and we're gonna ask God for his favor, we're gonna ask God for his strength, that perhaps we would begin to implement the same in our lives both individually and corporately here as a church. Please notice as you read this passage where they began, they devoted themselves to the word, There was daily devotion in what they did, and then they prayed in faith. There was devotion to the word, and there was devotion to prayer. You have it in your outline, daily devotion and prayer in faith. Okay, look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and they devoted themselves to prayer. The breaking of bread and to fellowship, I think, refers to taking communion. 
They came together to take the Eucharist to remember what Jesus did for them on the cross, that he offered his body and his blood for them. They remembered that on a regular basis. And they devoted themselves to taking in the scriptures and praying together in faith. That's what they did. That's where they started. Now it's interesting, they didn't have Bibles back then. The synagogues had Bibles, the synagogues had scrolls, but at this point, they didn't have physical Bibles that they were carrying around. The New Testament was not yet written for them. What they had was the apostles' teaching. And they had this brilliant Hebrew oral tradition in which the expectation was if a great rabbi spoke, you would memorize or at least get the gist of what they said, and they were underneath the greatest rabbi, and so they would hold on to the the stories and the teachings that Jesus said repeatedly across his years of ministry, and then the apostles would pass those on to the crowds in these new burgeoning churches. That's how they would do it. And maybe they would have a psalm from the synagogue, and they would pray that psalm, or they would read that psalm, and they would sing that psalm. I'm convinced that one of the things that hinders our transformation in Christ is we tend to think of Bible reading and prayer as two separate, discrete activities which just need to get done and checked off our list. And that really hinders our spiritual growth. What I'd like to encourage you to think about as we enter into this Rooted series is knitting together your Bible reading and your prayer. Knitting these together. And so maybe as you go through Rooted, the readings in Rooted that we'll be doing as life groups or you might be doing on your own as a family, the readings that you do will have short reflections on Bible passages. There may be a paragraph at a time or a parable at a time. And don't just read them to get through with them. Read them and pray those words. Pray those words back to God. Turn those into personalized prayers. And as you turn those into personalized prayers, what will happen is the word of God itself, which is living and active, will start to be implanted in your soul in a different and a more powerful way than if you just read the Bible to get it done on a checklist. You hearing me? You with me? So uh, again, like a short passage that you kind of pray through and you can even personalize it in prayer. There'll be many opportunities for you to do that as you go through the Rooted series. Now, I must say, as we're talking about prayer, there is a mystery in prayer, right? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand with me if you believe there's a mystery in prayer. Okay, there's a mystery in prayer that sometimes is a little bit befuddling, right? When I get to heaven, I'm gonna have this sheet in my back pocket of questions to ask God, and one of them is going to be about prayer. Like, God, why does it seem that you're not answering, quest- answering requests sometimes in a way that feels like it would be congruent with your character? Now, I, I know I'll, I'll get to heaven and I'll have that little list in my back pocket, and the moment I get there, I'll be oh. And that list will just kind of disappear into nothingness, but this side of eternity, I do have some of those questions. And yet, I don't quit praying because I have so many experiences of God faithfully answering prayers. 
And if you write down your prayers and you really simmer your prayers and you experience him answering prayers that helps you overcome some of the natural unbelief which creeps into your soul when it feels like God is not answering an important request though that you've been praying. I encourage you to do that as you reflect upon these next 10 weeks. There's great reflection questions though that we'll be looking at. Beyond that, like whatever is in your heart needs to be cried out. And that's what prayer is. Whatever is in your heart eventually needs to be cried out. And prayer gives you that opportunity to cry out to God with whatever you might be going through. That's what the early church did in the midst of their persecution. I better move on. I have a lot to cover here. They devoted themselves to to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. What else did they devote themselves to? They also devoted themselves to repentance. They developed a rhythm of repentance together. Look at Acts 2, 38 Peter's preaching, they say, what do we need to do? And the first thing he says is repent. First thing he says. Repent, and then after you repent and trust in Christ as your Lord, then as in a symbol of your repentance, the next thing you do is you get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this happens on a one-time basis. The moment you embrace Christ as your Savior, you repent, But I dare say it needs to happen on an ongoing basis as a regular rhythm of our lives that we would keep short accounts with God that we would acknowledge to God what he already knows about us. Now, quick straw poll. Who loves the word repentance? Would you please raise your hand with me if you just love that word repentance? Okay, there's a few people in this room that I'm very concerned about who love that word repent. Okay, um, I... Like, in a way, I love it, but, but, but to be totally honest, like, when I first heard repentance, that was a hard, piercing word as a young adult in college. I have to repent, and like, still today, there's something in me, well, when I hear the word repentance, I think of this kind of guy, okay? Anyone else? And like, that kind of guy, let's just be honest, he kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, doesn't he? Like, he does, I'd like to remove that guy from your mind Well, when you think about repentance because really what repentance is is this. Biblically, it's just a turning in a different direction. It's a recognition that I'm going this way and this way is not good for me. And this way is disobedient to God and so God, I'm sorry and I'm going to turn over in this direction. And sometimes this has to do just with like the ways we're thinking about God or the ways we're thinking about other people. One of my false ways of thinking is I get too anxiously striving across all life and then I start to just drive and drive and drive. And it's not good for my soul and it's not good for other people around me. In spite of the fact that I have this wristband on that says unhurry already. And yet I hurry again and again. And I, I felt this growing in my soul once again a few months ago. And so what did I need to do? I needed to turn. I, I needed to acknowledge that. I need to repent of it and say, God, this is what's going on in my soul. It's okay for me to be another ordinary follower of Christ and look to you And in repentance and in rest is your salvation, Adrian. And quietness and trust is your strength, says Isaiah 30, 15. So just rest in God. Be still and know that he's good and 
Use whatever he's given you, but stop striving like it depends upon you. Turn into a better direction. And friends, this is just part of the rhythm of life for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next up, here's what they did. Look at verse 44. They served the community and they practiced sacrificial generosity. They serve their community and they practice sacrificial generosity. It's just incredible what they do next as you look at verse 44 and 45. It's very easy to kind of just gloss over these words because they are so countercultural. But look at them. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Wow. Hello. They sold their property and their possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. Double wow. Like who does this? Imagine. That is what they did. It says the same thing in Acts chapter 4 and the same thing in Acts chapter 6. That's what they did. It actually wasn't even extraordinary to them. It's just the way they lived together. The great reformer John Calvin was once asked on the basis of these passages in the book of Acts, so like as you really live these out, are you a socialist? Are you curious to know the answer? (laughs) Calvin said this, he said, governmentally, no. Personally, yes. That's what he said. And I think he's right. Top down, no. Okay, don't want the government owning all of our stuff. But personally, as a follower of Christ, I darn sure better be the kind of follower of Christ who when I see a brother or sister in need and I know that I have more than enough, I darn sure better be that kind of follower of Christ that happily gives out of my excess to to them. Because that is normal Christianity. And that is how they lived. And that is how the church became this countercultural influence for good in the Roman Empire. It's part of what grew the early church to, to be strong. First in an organic way, but then in an organized way, they organized to better express their love this way. They served with their talents and they gave of their treasures. They would set aside a tithe At the start of the week, at least 10% acknowledging, as Matt said already in the service, everything that I've been given is from God, and so I'm going to give for this purpose of helping out those who are in need. And they'd give out of their gifts in the church, and then also they would serve out of their talents. And so maybe you help someone to find a job, even though it's very costly to you in terms of your time. Oh, that's so worth it. Or you go visit a widow on a regular basis, or you serve with Men in Action or Kids Hope USA, a kid who doesn't have other people in his life that are consistently pouring into him or her. And you do that, and yes, it takes time, but that kind of service in community and that kind of sacrificial generosity, does it not begin to interlock our roots with one another such that we become stronger together by virtue of being the kind of community that serves and sacrifices in love? That is the kind of community that is stronger together like the sequoia trees than we could ever be on our own. 
Now, out of that kind of community, well, what inevitably happens is people take notice, and then we get these opportunities to share our story. And this is the sixth rhythm that we'll learn about as we go, go through Rooted. We get opportunities to share our story as people outside of the church begin to see that there is indeed something substantially different about genuine followers of Christ. Peter was just an unschooled and ordinary fisherman, but he spent a lot of time with Jesus, and out of the time that he spent with Jesus, he developed a deep passion for other people and for the greatness of God, which began to simmer in his soul, and out of that joy, he speaks into the arena part of what God was doing in his life. There he is in Jerusalem with this great, huge, diverse crowd, and out of his joy in Christ, he speaks to this crowd. These words quoting Psalm 16, he says, verse, 35, verse 25 here in the book of Acts, chapter two, because he is at my right hand, because God is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also rests secure. Peter's saying, that's who I am now. Because of what Jesus has done in me, I know God is at my right hand, and my heart is glad. And my body's at ease. And I rejoice. And I delight to tell you the story of what God has done in my life. And he's an unschooled and ordinary man, but he couples together what God has done in his world with the truth of the gospel, and that becomes a powerful form of telling others about the love of God. And really this is what you see throughout the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit getting a hold of ordinary people like us and they learn to share their story of how Christ has changed their lives and God used that to explode the church all over the Roman world. Don't you wanna be more confident in being able to share your story? Don't you wanna be more confident to share the difference that Christ makes in your life and he can make in the lives of other people whom you love that don't yet know Christ. This fall, we'll spend some time learning how. These are the seven rhythms, okay? Daily devotion, prayer, repentance, sacrificial generosity, serving the community, sharing our story, and the last one through it all is worship. Through it all is worship. In everything we do, it's about worship. Unto the God who's given it all to us, we give back to him. We say, God, all is for you, all is from you, all is to you. My life is to be a worship for you. Worship, my friends, is not singing. Worship is, is your way of life. It's doing life for the glory of God. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Verse 47, this is how it ends. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added daily to their number those who are being saved. Friends, that, that's the vision. It's a different kind of life that is available for us right now. They're living in the kingdom of God in that moment. They're praising God. And what you see is you look carefully at Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, the seminal passage is this beautiful portrait of joy this beautiful portrait of joy as this new church is learning to live together as a community and their roots get interlocked well with each other and they develop these rhythms of discipleship. 
So that's what we're after over these next 10 weeks is to further develop these seven rhythms of discipleship together. I, w- I know you won't get it all by Wednesday. That's okay. Okay? There won't be a quiz on this next Sunday. But we start this week. And for the next 10 weeks, we're going to initiate something that I trust, that I pray with you, and I'd invite you to pray with me. And I've been praying for this for the past four months, every day, that God would spark a renewal in deep discipleship in this church. Spark a renewal in passion for the one who alone is God in this church. And we get to implement that over these next 10 weeks. And I believe it will produce a growth spurt in your discipleship for the years to come. That's what I want for me, a growth spurt in my discipleship for the years to come, which I think we need because the simple truth is some of us don't feel like deeply rooted trees at all. What we feel like is more like these bushes in the wastelands. Anyone else? Do you feel kind of like this? I think we might have a bush in the wasteland up there. You can kind of imagine it with me. There it is. We have an amazing tech team here. Truly, we do. Truly, we do. They are fantastic. They're fantastic. And they got my bush in the wastelands. We kind of feel like that, don't we? Kind of pinballing from one pleasurable experience to another pleasurable experience. From one suffering experience to another suffering experience. From one social media post to another social media post. From a high to a low. We just feel like we're pinballing like tumbleweed. When we want to be more like these sequoias that are interlocked with each other, that are strong, because underneath the surface there's this bonding that's happening. And so also it'll be for us and our communities, this bonding that will happen in our life groups as we share our stories and as we experience this discipleship plan these rhythms together over these next weeks. And I know to get interlocked with other people and to get more interlocked well with God over these next 10 weeks will be a stretch for many of us and it will require more time from some of us and it will be a challenge in a culture like ours that is so scattered and so materialistic and so terribly consumeristic It will be a challenge. But my friends, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it to go deeper in our discipleship with Christ and our love in our community. Here's what you can know. You are completely known by God. Wherever you're at right now, wherever fears you have at the beginning of this, whatever frustrations you have right now, whatever failures you've had, you are fully known by God in all of that. And yet at the same time, you are fully loved by God. You're fully known and you are fully loved by God right where you are. 
And it's out of living from that reality that I'm fully known and I'm fully loved by God that a new passion can develop in us that we want to know Christ more intimately. And then we desire to mirror Christ more clearly. To know Christ more intimately, to mirror Christ more clearly. And I really believe these next 10 weeks will give us an opportunity to do those two things. Friends, it's not an information problem. We don't have an information problem. What we have is a gap between information and heart-level obedience. It's, it's in my life, too. There's a huge gap between information and application. A big gap between information and these 18 inches to get down to the heart and really believe at a deep level. And so the great thing though that's gonna happen in this series as you really seek to reflect and apply upon it is an opportunity for transformation though that looks kinda like this. Look at this formula up on the screen. It's information plus rhythms for reflection plus action. It's It's those three things together that results in transformation. Far too often we think it's just more information. It's not that. We have far more information than we could ever apply. We have more Bible at our fingers than any people in all of history. It's not an information problem. It's a rhythm of reflection and a decision to apply problem. And so over these 10 weeks, what I'm hoping to do, what I'm praying to do, and I ask you to do the same, is God, would you please begin to close that gap in my life? Begin to close that gap between information and application and personal heart-level belief, reflection that leads to change. As we want to know Christ more intimately and we want to mirror him more clearly to the world around us. Okay, as we close, I'm going I'm, I'm to pray here. And uh, after I pray, we're going to have a minute of silence. And up on the screen, during that minute of silence, you'll see a couple questions for reflection. And I just want you to sit in that silence and look at those questions related to these next 10 weeks in Rooted and where you would like to grow in one of these seven rhythms. And perhaps you take a picture of this and reflect upon it later. Maybe you write in your phone or write on your handout. This is how I want to grow over these next 10 weeks. Take a moment to reflect upon that. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you never quit on us. Thank you that we are fully known by God in heaven, and even so, we are fully loved by God in heaven. We praise you, God, that you are near to us, and you give us this gorgeous picture of what the Christian life could look like, what the beautiful church could look like there in the book of Acts. And we say together by faith, we would like more of that by your grace and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We would like more of that in our lives. We would like more of that in this church community. And so Father, would you please do what you alone could do in our church family over these next 70 days. We give ourselves to you. We give our hearts to you. Would you please have your way in us? We will be certain to give you all the credit for all things are from you and for you and directed back to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray together. Amen.